Well, good morning again to you all. I'm glad you're all here. Please open in your Bibles to Acts chapter 27. Uh, just looking at where the Lord's probably going to take us today, we'll probably get through chapter 27, and um, not, I'm not sure, well, maybe we'll get through the first six verses of chapter 28, but it's, it's hard to believe. It's been almost a year, and it seems like it's gone by quickly, but what a beautiful journey. Well, let's pick up in chapter 27 here where we are. So last we left Paul, if you remember, he had given a beautiful testimony to Agrippa II and to obviously the centurion there, the governor, the men that are there, Festus as the governor there. And as he got, he's going through that, he was basically saying, you know, Agrippa, you understand these things. The things that I'm, I'm sharing with you, the things I'm proclaiming, you understand these things. These aren't foreign to you. You know, and as he was hearing that, I, I can't imagine, you know, he stood up promptly or abruptly, maybe a better word, and began to turn around and he walks away and so does Festus and yet nothing more. Why did, do you remember why Festus, first of all, invited him to meet with Paul to begin with? It was because he had no accusation to actually write about to go to Rome with and to send him to Caesar in Rome without an accusation, sort of career limiting, right? What are you doing wasting my time? Who's this governor that sent this man over here? Right? And he'd only been there, what, maybe 14 days, something like that. He'd only been uh, a governor. And the very first thing he did is, as, a, as a faithful governor is he went up to the province of Jerusalem in that area. And he began to, to hear the, the Jews in that area say, oh, this man, he's been in, in custody for more than two years, which was against Roman law, by the way. Against Roman law. So as, he, as we find our way, he, he says, look, you know, you appealed to Caesar. But then Agrippa and Festus turn around and they kind of, they kind of talk amongst each other and say, hey, you know what? We really don't have a single thing on this guy. He hasn't done anything wrong. Nothing that would bring, and as a matter of fact, if he didn't appeal to Caesar, we'd, we'd frankly let him go. There's no charge to bring against him. But because he has appealed to Caesar, to Caesar he'll go, right? So that's where we pick up in chapter 27. Now, I'm going to ask the guys, to Kevin, to bring up a map here. And uh, Robin, if they could bring up the map, we're going to be spending a little bit of time here talking about this journey that will take some seven months, right? Up to this point, Paul has already spent over 3,500 miles, nautical miles, up to this point before he even begins on this journey. Now, Clearly, he has experience, but these other men don't know about that. And why that's going to become important is because, like any storm in life, most of us don't see it coming, but when we're in the middle of it, right, there's generally the Lord, as he says, through most of the trials and storms in our life in the gospel, he tells us, and, and in the epistles and writings, he says he provides a way out of that trial or storm. But often, what are we to do as we were reading, and we've been reading in Acts, often we're not to pray the way out, what are we to pray? For Jesus to be in the storm with us. That we learn and be are guided as God wants to, to teach us and to, to help us through that storm. So we're going to be journeying with Paul as he makes this trip. And he's going to end up right here near Syracuse. Well, first, actually, he's going to get to Malta. We'll probably end with him coming to Malta today. But this is a, a, an amazing journey and joy, to say the least. So we'll begin in verse 1. And it says, And when it was decided that we... Well, that's interesting. Who's the we? Who's the inspired author of the book of Acts? Luke, right? Dr. Luke. So we see here Luke picking back up saying, we, who's going on this journey with Paul? Luke is, 
Luke is in this journey. Make that note in your Bible here. Luke will stay with Paul until the point of his death. At this point, Luke will be with Paul all the way up into the point of his death. But it says, and when he was decided that we should sail to Italy, right, up here, if you're looking on the map, he's going to end up in Rome. Because why? Because that's what God said so, that he would go to Rome and he would testify before kings, before magistrates, and that his life, the suffering he would go through would be bring glory, but also to bring understanding not only to the Gentiles, but to the Jews, which was part of Paul's heart, Paul's desire that his Jewish, his brethren would come to Christ. So he'll make his way back here, but also he's going to be speaking to these Gentile, non-Jewish believers. And we're going to read about how many, as we read some of the epistles, how many came to salvation. Philippians tells us many of the Roman soldiers, many of those that were watching over Paul in custody came to salvation. Your, Bible, your life's a Bible. Sometimes, you know, people may not read this. I pray to God every one of us as Christians do read this. This is our instruction manual. It's our love letters. But many of you, you know, many of the people you'll come in contact with have never read the Bible. But they're reading your lives. To see what you do and how you behave and the things you, how you handle situations. Not, not that you have a false pretense of where you've got it all together. None of us do as Christians. We don't pretend. But we know when we're broken, where do we run? Because we always run. You're either going to run to Jesus or you're going to run away from Jesus. And what they see in our lives is us running to God. He's our sure rock, our foundation. He's always faithful. Even when the circumstances don't line up with our will. Because he said, don't pray our will, but pray his will be done. He has the very best in mind for us. And that's why as we go through these storms, and we're going to talk a little bit more about, God has a lot to say about the storms of our lives. Many times we don't realize storms are actually safekeeping. Moments of, um, through difficulty, moments of God's provision and protection. And if I asked you this morning, many of you, how many of you have been through a storm, I would expect everybody's hand to be raised. I'd, I'd almost be better asking the converse. How many have never been through a storm? And I still bet I probably wouldn't see maybe two hands from you know, maybe our youngest people yet. But as we see here, it says he was going to sail to Italy. They delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners. Now notice they don't, the prisoners means they were condemned. These are men that were found guilty. Has Paul been found guilty yet? No. So Paul is not a condemned man. This is very important. To one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan Regiment. Now, the Augustan Regiment was Caesar's. And who's the Caesar at this time? Nero. Nero's private army, right? His elite army that way. That's what the Augustan Regiment was. And he delivers Paul and these prisoners. Now, this, this is very important because as we go through this journey, you're going to see these men, these 276 Men, women, whoever is on this journey with them, these prisoners, as well as soldiers, as they're going through this experience, just so you understand Roman law, Julius here, and it's remarkable what he does. I do believe we'll see this man in heaven as we read this testimony. You be Bereans, but I believe we'll see this man in heaven here. Because Julius, this centurion, he goes basically to bat, if I could say it that way, to spare Paul's life. There's going to come a point where they're going to shipwreck and the rest of the soldiers are going to say, kill them all. Kill them all. Now, that might seem striking to you, but if you understood Roman law and customs, and we talked about this when we were in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, even for those centurions guarding what? The tomb. 
Why was it so significant, even when they were guarding the tomb, that they'd left? Because if they had left like that, they were standing in front, what would happen if you were caught on guard and you had left the tomb and somebody had escaped or the body was stolen? It was going to be your life for the life that had escaped or the body that had been missing. Dead or alive, you were to bring the body. That was Roman custom and law. So in case of these 276, regardless of whether they were dead or alive, if you brought the body, your life would be spared. Julius understood, Julius understood that. These soldiers understand that. They're, they're responsible for each and every one of those souls that are on that ship. Now, I don't mean it in the spiritual sense. I mean it in the more of the, the physical and pragmatic sense. Verse 2. So entering a ship at Armidium. So if you're looking on your map, that's right up here. That's where this ship will begin. Where is this? In Egypt. Why is that significant? I thought we're talking about Rome. Well, it's good. I'm glad you asked. So if you look over here in Rome, you have all of Italy and they have, and Sicily here, and they have need for grain. They have need for food. And just like us in the United States, if we can't grow all our food here, what do we do? We import it, right? It's, you know, no different. We export things to other countries. Well, they would go up here and they would plant grain, the Italians would plant grain over here, the Romans that way. And what they would do is, I don't know, maybe four or five times at least a year, they would come back, not just for grain, obviously, but for different harvests. And they would basically take these big tanker, these big ships, and we're going to talk about how big these ships actually were. And they would bring them down and they would come and they would come all the way over and bring them over to Italy or come down through the strait here. And that's where this ship originates from. This ship is going to make its way down this way, though. Okay, so there must have been something going on. They didn't come straight across. But as they come down, we're going to see Julius meet them at Myra, and they're going to jump on this grain ship, and they're going to find the rest of their, their, their trip over. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but I want you to understand exactly where the, the boat is coming from, okay? So entering this ship at Arminium, or at Arminium, sorry, we put to sea, meaning to sail alone, the coast of Asia, Right? And who do we see here? Our friend, Aristocras, right? Do you remember him? He was in Macedonia for Thessalonica. He was a prisoner with Paul. Colossians chapter 4 verse 10 tells us that he was imprisoned with Paul. So we know he's one of Paul's companions while he was in prison. And the next day we landed at Sidon. So remember, where are they starting? They're starting right down here in Caesarea, if you could see my pointer. They're making their way to Sidon. This is some 67 miles this journey right here, okay? You don't have to blow it up. It's okay. Um, so they're making their journey right here at this point, okay? And Julius treated Paul kindly. Do you see that word in the Greek, that word kindly? That's where we get our term for philanthropy or philanthropos. It means to truly give, to be giving that way. He treated Paul very giving, very kindly, and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. So as he arrives at Sidon, what does Paul do? Is Paul thinking, woe is me, I'm in prison, it's all about me, 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 me? Or is Paul thinking, you know what, I've got this time inside and I'm going to go encourage a home church. I'm going to go encourage those doing the work of the Lord and I'm going to go visit and I'm going to be encouraged and I'm going to encourage others because my calling and election is sure. I'm not worried about what happens to me. It's no longer about my life. It's about what I can do for the testimony and the kingdom of God. That's what it looks like to be surrendered. That's what real discipleship looks like, right? That's why Jesus said, said, count the cost. Don't begin something you, you won't start. Be better that you never started. 
right? Now, clearly, we don't mean that in a salvation or savinic perspective, but we mean take hold of what you're doing. Be intentional about the things you're going to do for the kingdom of God. You know, be intentional about it. Souls are at stake. The stakes are high. How many souls are going to hell because they have not been given the opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ where God maybe wanted to use you? Every one of you in this room to share the testimony of what Jesus has done in your heart. Paul welcomed the opportunity even if it meant it would cost him his life. And it wasn't that he knew these men. He didn't know. They were all strangers to him. But in the kingdom of God, when another brother or sister comes to, to Christ, that way it says all of the heavens rejoice because you have a brother or sister that's coming home. Well, we see we had put to sea from there and we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. So again, it would, from all of us here, you know, mathematical term, what's the point of between two, you know, a straight line is the closest between two points, right? If I turn around from Caesarea and I would have gone right to you know, Malta, or even right to Italy, that would have made a lot of sense, wouldn't it have? However, we're going to talk about the time of year and the season this is. This is very important. We know this is AD 59, right? We know right around AD 59 and 60. We're even going to know the date because Paul's going to tell us there was a feast going on, right? Kippur, the Feast of Kippur, the day of what? Yom being day of Kippur, or Kippur, depending on how you want to say it. It's Kippur, but it's, it's the Day of Atonement. So we're going to know because we can even go in a Jewish calendar and we can look in AD 59 and find out exactly when that was. And I just happened to do that. You know what that date is? October 5th, AD 59. God's given it to us. If we, he says, you seek and you shall find. He's given all of this to us that we would understand. So what we see is that they've come and they come right around here and they come up and they're making their way. But it says that the winds were contrary. So rather than turning around and sail directly in open sea where they were maybe dangerous or afraid or whatever you want to put it, they're hugging the coast. And they're going to come right up through Cyprus right here, and they're going to come right to Myra here in a moment. It says the winds were contrary. Verse 5, And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Sicilia or um, Cilicia, and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, right here. So they end up coming through this some 100 and... Um, I think it's almost 200 and something miles. I can't remember, 100 and something miles like that up into, to get to here. They're still sailing. There, the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and put us on board when he had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty offside. It's the wind not permitting us. So we sailed under the shelter of Crete off of Solomon. So what, what just happened here? Well, remember we talked about how there were these grain ships up here and they would come down and go over? Well, Julius found a ship that all 276 members could board right here. And then what they're doing is they're going to make their way over to Crete, but they're going to come to cost. They're going to board that ship. We read about uh, Sertius there, and he's going to make his way under Salomon. We just read. He says he comes under Salomon, right, like that. And now he's going to stop at Crete, but he's going to stop in this place called Fair Havens. Doesn't that sound beautiful? Fair Havens. Who wouldn't want to stop in a place called Fair Havens? So it says, passing, verse 8, we, it, with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. Now, I don't know about you, if I came to a place named Fair Havens, I would probably want to do as Paul did and everyone else saying, hey, let's just rest, man. 
Let's just take a break. I mean, it's fair. It's havens. This is great. Let's go. The reality is the name, whatever, you know, Chamber of Commerce, whatever person at that time alive that decided to market that name of Fair Havens, one, it wasn't that fair, and two, it wasn't a haven. What do I mean? Well, where are you exposed to? Look at Fair Havens. Look at the, uh, the wind patterns. Well, we don't have them on here, but if you were looking down at the wind patterns, they blow this way. The water would take them to what was known as a graveyard down here, which is the tip of North Africa. We'll talk about that in a minute. But at the end of the day, where they really wanted to get was to Phoenix. We'll come to that. But the reason they didn't want to stare at Fair Havens was for two main reasons. First of all, it wasn't fair. Because it's so close to the body of water that was being picked up right here, the ship would get beat up. And so they were not wanting to stay over there because if they were going to stay over there, that's some six months. Remember, this is going to be right around September. Somewhere, somewhere between the end of, uh, excuse me, it's going to be October eventually when they leave here because we're told that. But when they started this, this would have been somewhere around the middle to end of September. Okay? So that should immediately, anybody who's a sailor in here, that, you know, you know the, the alert light should be going off in your head. You typically, especially in this part of the region, nobody sailed from the middle of October, really. Well, some even, I've heard some scholars, they said the end of August. But if you want to say just conservatively, the middle of September all the way to middle of November, very dangerous. If you were going to sail, you were taking your life into your own hands. Most people said, no, we're not going to sail. And as a matter of fact, from the middle of November all the way to April, nobody sailed at all. Not, you were a fool to sail from the middle of September to the middle of uh, November that way. But nobody, unless you had a death wish, nobody sailed from the middle of November onward to April. It just didn't happen. So we're already in a tight deadline. You know, they're already here. They're nearing that period of time where nobody's sailing at all, right? Because they're in October, right around the 5th of October. So because of that, they're, they're sitting there. But the other problem with it, and we're going to read it, is it was boring. I mean, that's what the Greek word reads here. They're going to they're gonna say that they're there, and while the ship could get beat up, and obviously that's a problem for the owner of the ship, and not to mention all that grain, because this boat that came down through, do you know how big that boat is? Historians tell us it would be somewhere between 140 to 200 feet in length. This is not a small vessel. The weight that you would have had with the 276 people aboard, not to mention the grain that would be kept on there, whatever kind, would create a displacement of over 1,200 tons. Any sailors in here? Anybody catching what I'm saying? With a displacement, displacement like that, what that means is the more weight that you put in that boat, the more that boat gets weighed down in the water, the more it takes on a displacement, the more the winds, contrary winds, the more the waves are more likely to come across the bow or the stern of that boat and cause a problem. Now, these boats were not designed for wind. They were vessels. They were tankers. They were meant to carry large amount of weight. They actually took the mass, and they put them more towards the rear rather than in the center of the boat, which is more common for our sailing ships today, that you would see more towards the center. This would have been more in the rear. They were not designed to, f to go into strong and heavy winds. That's not what they were. They were meant to carry large weight, right? So you can already picture that when the winds get contrary, not only are they hugging this, they're hugging this because they don't want to lose the cargo, the shipment. They're not worried about the prisoners as much. They don't want to lose the money, 1,200 tons of grain and what have you. Not to mention that they're all counting on this to eat. So there's a lot going on when you, when you understand the context here, right? says in verse 9, Now, when much time it's been spent and sailing was now dangerous 
because the fast was already over. What fast are they talking about? I already shared it with you. It was the Day of Atonement. It was the atoning fast, right? And again, right around then would have been October 5th, 19, or yeah, 19. October 5th, 59 AD, forgive me. And it says, Paul advised them saying, men, I perceive. That's an interesting word there, perceive. We can't tell in the Greek if he's saying, I discern, because there's a separate word for that. But we can't tell. Is he saying that I got a word of knowledge? We talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Was this a word of knowledge, Paul, that you got? Was this because of your experience? We're not really sure. But he says, I perceive that this voyage will end in disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo of the ship, but also our lives. Paul was a hero at this moment. Can you imagine the owner of the ship? Can you imagine Julius with all these prisoners and everybody else on that boat? Julius had already been kind to Paul, but hey, Paul, you're taking the wind out of our sails, not to mention the pun, but literally, what are you doing, Paul? That's, you know, you got to remember back then, not Paul or the Christian, but many sailors were very um, superstitious. They were worried about certain times of year. They were, you know, certain things they did. They figured repetition. They would try to do things a certain way every time, thinking. It's, you know, that pagan belief has found its way into our country, hasn't it? We see it in our sports, our athletes. Many times, I was a hockey player. Many times growing up, uh, I can remember that when there was a Stanley Cup, what was one of the superstitious things that the hockey players did? They didn't shave. They would go without shaving. Football players, right? Super Bowl-worthy uh, players. What are they thinking about? I'm going to wear the same pair of good boys and girls. Great. I'm glad you didn't go to the other place. Yes, I'm going to wear the same socks that I wore all season, right? Because they're good luck socks. Now, when you say that, we laugh. But they believe it at that moment. They believe that they're going to keep these same socks because there's something special about the socks. And yet, at the same time, they'll say, thank you, Jesus. We praise you. Because we know it's you that did, well, what happened to the socks, right? Praise God. I, I praise God for the Philadelphia Eagles in, in the testimony we saw just this year. Didn't you see that? How the coach came out and praised Jesus Christ, how the players came out and praised Jesus Christ. Praise God. We don't see that often. We don't see it enough. I'm a Buffalo Bills fan. I have never seen that because my boys have never been uh, so good to win the Super Bowl there. We're praying for them this year. I've been saying that the last 40 years, so. All right. Well, he says, look, things aren't going to end well. Now, if you read this the first time, you might be saying, well, how, you know, can you imagine Julius? I could see Julius right now looking at Paul. I can imagine the ownership going, all right, Paul. Okay, should we be calling you Captain Paul? Like, how do you know this, Paul? Who are you to, you know, how do we know you're the guy? Like, what are you talking about? You just sit over there with your Bible, Paul. We got this. This is what we do. But what they didn't know, first of all, the book of Corinthians had already been written by this time. What they didn't know is this was not Paul's first voyage. Hold your finger here and turn to 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 11. By this point, and it's good just for us to remember, those that might be going through a storm here this morning, those that may be going through difficulties, what Paul realized is that all the suffering that he counted, he counted it understanding that he was surrendered to Christ and it was for gain. I'm paraphrasing, but that's where Paul had gotten to in his walk. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And if we look here, you know, even backing up the suffering for Christ, if I back up to verse 23, 
Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more one in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. He's saying, oh, look, I've been tried to kill. And oh, by the way, I've been near death multiple times. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. This doesn't sound comfortable. This doesn't sound easy or fun. It's real. Verse 25 in our passage for this morning, he says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. He means with little rocks, right? Three times, underline this, I was shipwrecked. Three times to this point. He was shipwrecked already. Many of these men had never had a shipwreck. But he was shipwrecked three times. And not only that, he says, I spent a night and day in the deep. <laughs> I don't know about you. I read that. I, man, how many of you watch Shark Week, right? Look, how many of you have taken cruises in your life? This is not a good cruise, right? This is not a good idea. You know, I, it's wreck cruises for me, man. I read this and I'm like, all right, I'm, I, I love terra firma. I love the ground. I'm not, I'm not, ha I don't love flying. And I don't love, you know, you know, being on the ocean that way, cruising. That's not my thing. I love terra firma, but, you know, I'm not afraid to do it. I just, I just love terra firma. I'm more of a kind of outdoorsy type of person. I like that. Um, but, you know, you read this and you're like, okay, Paul, so let me get this straight. Not only have you been shipwrecked three times, but you actually spent a night and a day in ocean infested, you know, shark infested waters in the ocean, right? And we've seen how that's worked out throughout history with some of the people that have been shipwrecked, the Titanic, other big ships like that, and what's happened, military ships, things like that. And you willingly, knowing that you were not guilty at all, knowing that your voyage was going to be to Rome, got on a ship knowing that there was a potential that that ship could be shipwrecked again. I love Paul, man. Paul's our guy. I mean, you read about this guy. I can't help. I mean, I love this guy. I don't know what the word is for him, but he's, he's bold. He's, he's, a, you know, he's a man. He's like, yeah, all right. You know what? I count my life again in Christ. Everything else, it doesn't matter. Praise Jesus. Yeah, that's so freeing. Could you do that? Could I do that this morning? Could we willingly know that we're going to enter, that three times, it's not like, well, I don't know what's coming. He's looking at them. He's telling them, look, if we go on, I fear that we're going to have a loss of cargo and, oh, by the way, in lives too. He knew what was coming, whether, like he said, whether it was a word of knowledge or, or, or he perceived it. Either way, he knew, and yet he didn't go, you know what? I've changed my mind. These other guys, eh, it's not looking so good for them, but I, I have not been found guilty. I'll take the next ship. You know, because after all, there's many coming through here, and I'm not a condemned man yet. He was a free man. And yet, free, he willingly sailed into this storm. Friends, if you're in a storm, do you trust Jesus Christ to be with you through that storm? Knowing that when you're with God, you're invincible while you're in his will. There's a great hope for all of us this morning. No matter how desperate, no matter how difficult it is, when we are in the storms of life, when we are with Jesus Christ, he keeps us. He protects us. It, do, it doesn't always end the way maybe we want it to end. But he promises to never leave us nor forsake us. And then ultimately we understand that our eyes will close and our eyes will open in the arms of Jesus Christ. What shall we fear? Whom shall we fear? 
Does that not encourage you this morning? This is who you are in Christ. This is who I am in Christ. The enemy has no business lying and trying to tell us that we need to take these fears and actually give them thought or credit. They're lies from the pit of hell. They've got no business in our brain. They've got no business in our, our being. That's why Jesus says, you cast it out in the name of Jesus Christ. Because the enemy wants to stall us. He wants to stop us. He wants to break us down. He doesn't want us to get out and serve God. He wants to do nothing that would bring God glory in any way through our lives. He'll do everything he can to distract you. He'll do everything he can to lie to you. And he'll even get you believing half-truths because you read a portion of Scripture, but you didn't read everything in context. He tried to do that with Jesus Christ. Turn these rocks. You're hungry. You're hungry, Jesus. I know you're God. Turn these rocks. And Satan, man doesn't live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds forth from the mouth of God. You forgot the latter half in Deuteronomy. We need to be students of the Bible. This is our sword. That's why Ephesians chapter 6, I think it's verse 17 or 18. It's within verses 11 through 17 in that passage. This is our sword. We have an armor. We're not defenseless, friends. I'm so tired of hearing Christians, I'm a victim. You're not a victim. You've overcome through Jesus Christ. You may be going through difficulty. Things that are horrendous, things that are, we don't even want to think about, incapacity in, in to be able to process mentally. But we have a Lord and a Savior who has overcome this world and all of sin, our sin nature, original sin, and everything that has to do with that. And He's promised us that He went to prepare a place for us, as a good bridegroom does. We watched Pastor J.D. Farrakh yesterday. He was talking about types and typologies. We've been looking at that same thing in the book of Leviticus. And he says, friends, you can't ignore the types. That's when your eschatology, that's when your understanding of the Bible gets totally messed up. When you ignore the types, the typologies, all the things that God's given us. Well, I would, I would suggest, I would, I would argue with any of you this morning that we all can't ignore the promises. God's made promises to each and every one of us here. And the first is that he saved us and that he will resurrect us. And that place that he went to prepare for us, he too is waiting and he's calling us. And he says, I can't wait. Before he left those disciples, he says, I can't wait to partake of the fruit of the vine with you again. Where is that? That's in heaven. What's it for? The wedding feast of the lamb. We got a party to go to and it's a seven year party. Time is short. He's coming soon. He's told us the rapture's upon us. We don't know the time or place or when, but we know it's coming. But half of us, and I don't say us, me, whoever, are we're worried about what we're doing tomorrow or, or what we have next week. We don't even know if we're going to be here. And yet there's souls that are dying every day. Paul was willing to die. Paul understood that this storm wasn't going to end well. But he counted the cost for Jesus Christ because he knew that there's 275 other people on that boat. And he cared more about the other 275 people than he did his own body, his own mind, his own frame. That's selfless living. That's what he's called you and I to do. I'm not browbeating anybody here. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking to my heart. Are we all in? Because if we have this confidence in Christ, we're not going to be afraid 
We're not going to turn around and allow our anxieties to overwhelm us. Not that we don't have them, we do, from juggling the cares of this world, which Jesus told us not to do. But he wants to set us free. Friends, pick that up today and take it. Philippians 4, 6 tells us about a peace that surpasses understanding, but we have a responsibility to receive it. I don't care what you're struggling with, alcohol, drug, wherever you are in your walk today. Maybe somebody somebody here is not even a believer. I don't know. But God is the solution and the answer because it was foreordained before the even creation of the earth that he was going to come in and rescue his beloved, his bride. And you know who his bride is? You and I, believers in Jesus Christ. He foreordained it from the beginning of time. Before we even sinned, he knew. He knew. Thanks be to God for who he is. Turn back to Acts chapter 27. And he says, men, I perceive, and we read that the voyage will end in disaster and much loss, not only to the cargo of the ship, but our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman the one driving the ship, the captain, and the owner of the ship, than by the things spoken by Paul. We'll see that'll change. You know what? Would we act any different? Paul, you're not a sailor. Paul, you're not a captain. You don't know anything about this. How many times have God used men and women to speak into our lives spiritually, and we look at them and judge them by the word of knowledge that we get? We get the word of knowledge, and we look at them and say, well, what do you know about this? instead of having an open heart and testing everything in the light of Scripture. I'm not saying we just receive everything and believe it. No, God has told us everything by his Spirit you receive, you test in the light of Scripture, that you may find out what is true, what is right. Right? I mean, we're not fools walking aimlessly. But this captain, or this centurion, Julius, he, he just... He was trusting in what he could see. Friends, if you're taking notes, write that down. Lord, don't let me trust in what I can see and hear. Let me trust trust in your promises, your understanding, Lord. Lean not in your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. Proverbs chapter 3. Okay, Lord. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, now again, (laughs) that word suitable means it was boring. There was nothing going on. It was dead. It was no place. He says, because it wasn't suitable, and and you could see why. I mean, we could see because of the waves and the water, the back of the boat would have got pretty wrecked there. The majority advised to set sail from there, even though Paul said, don't do it. If by any means you could reach Phoenix. Now, Look, if we're sitting there, right, how, how are we doing on time? Okay, we're okay at time. If, if we turn around and we look here, and you're looking here to here, right, and you're going, okay, I mean, what is this? This is a day's travel, if that, to go from, from um, uh, Fairhavens to Phoenix. So in their minds, they're going, what's the big deal, Paul? You know, Paul, I know you said, you know, the Lord or however you received this, but what's the big deal? We're just going from here to here, and it's great. Phoenix is happening, man. Phoenix is live, and there's a whole lot going on in Phoenix, right? 
a harbor of Crete opening towards the southwest, northwest, and winter there. He says, yeah, we're going to go there, man. So they're ignoring the counsel of God, and they're trusting in what they can see. Now the enemy, oh, he's so good. You know, sometimes we think only God opens doors, and only God closes them or tries to close them. The enemy's happy to come in and do that same thing. Not every door that's open is from God. The enemy can open doors too, and he can make it like it's from the Lord. You know, that's why you got to test the spirits. Because we see in here, it says, when the south wind blew softly. Oh, can you imagine the sea, Paul? What are you talking about? We're going from here to here. This is beautiful. Beautiful, Paul. What are you talking about? Look at the wind. We're out in the sun. It's only a, we only got a day's journey. This is smooth sailing. Enemies more than happy to kind of, yeah, that's it. Go ahead. Right? Supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, a tempestuous, or tempestuous, excuse me, headwind arose called Euryclidon. That's a typhoon. Okay, or something, some, you know, the Greek for that's like a huge, big old wind, right? I don't have exact, but it's a huge wind. So when the ship was caught and could not head into the wind, we let it drive. What that means is right here, they couldn't see. They no longer could see where they were going. They basically had to secure the, the skip. They're going to pull that in. They're going to secure the rudder so it doesn't move and take them in multiple directions. So basically, they're letting the sail down, and they're saying they're just going wherever the currents of the water begin to take them. They don't know. They're, they're not thinking, well, we're going to Phoenix. They don't know where they're going to end up, but they're right in this area. And we're going to see what they're, they're thinking about. It's about a 500-mile area that they have made at this point, journey. And they said they let her drive. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, right, over here in this area, we secured the skiff with difficulty. You know what a, skir- a skiff is? It's a dinghy. You know, a little, little separate boat. They brought the dinghy up because they thought they were afraid it was going to bang into the hull of the boat and crack it, either the dinghy and or the hull of the boat like that. And when they had taken it aboard, they used cables to undergird the ship. Look, if you're ever on a cruise and you see them go out and start tightening ratchets to secure and tighten the ship, tell them, get me off at the next port. I'm good. I don't need a refund. I'm good. I'll just get off at the next port and I'll, I'll you know, I'll wait it out. I mean, that's what they're doing. What they did is in the boats back then, they were loose. And they allowed because expansion contraction. Wood does that, right? So they, they kept it a little bit loose. I mean, watertight, nevertheless, but a little bit loose. And what they would do is they had cables that ran under the hulls of the boat. They were already there, and they would have ratcheting systems that you could come over to the side, and just like a, a ratchet, you could tight. Sorry, I'm doing it where you guys can't see. You would tighten it down like this, and what it would do is it would tighten the tongue and groove. It would tighten it right in real tight. It would remove any potential for expansion. And any of the rope that they would have used that would have been glazed with tar or different things like that to be able to secure it and keep it watertight, it pulled it in so tight. So what they're doing is they're preparing the ship because, again, it wasn't meant to drive this hard into the wind. They're preparing the ship for this storm. And fearing lest they should run aground in the Sirtis Sands. Now, remember I told you about the graveyard down in this area? It was north of North Africa, but south of Malta and Crete in this area. It's almost right down this way if we had more map. And it was north of North Africa. And it was a famous ship graveyard. You know, much like uh, what, what many people uh, that fly planes will say, the Bermuda Triangle. 
You know, you've heard of today in our days the Bermuda Triangle. But back then, this uh, Sirtis Sands was the equivocal nautical Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle like that. People would get lost. They'd end up there shipwrecked and uh, to death to die that way. They struck sail and so they were driven. And because they were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So now they start throwing out some of the cargo. Now they're not throwing out the grain yet. We'll read that later on. But they're looking around things that they could start to unload and offload the ship. Why are they doing that? Remember we talked about displacement uh, physics uh, in a boat. As you take more surface area up, it's going to slow you down. It's also going to weigh you down like that. As you lighten the boat, you're gonna, your displacement's going to change, and the boat will naturally rise higher in the water and do better with temptuous winds and waves like that. Okay, So this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to change the displacement to bring it higher up. And they lighten the ship. Verse 19, on the third day, Okay, so two days of this storm to this point. Can you imagine being in a, a, a typhoon like this for two days? They threw the ship's tackle overboard. Now, this isn't their fishing equipment. This means some of their other equipment, right? We're now into a third, third day of the storm here. They're throwing this over with their own hands. Now, when neither the sun nor stars appeared, they could see nothing in front of them. They didn't have a GPS, nothing like that. And no small tempest, I love the King James originally, the way it writes it, no small, that means a huge honking storm, beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. At this point, they, they said, we're, there's no way. There's no way we're going to make it through this. Even Paul's going, Luke's going, Luke's writing this down, going, Paul, I heard what you said, and I, I believe it. There's no way we're making it out. We can't even see the sun. We can't see the stars. We have nothing to navigate by. We're going to end up in that boat graveyard. Who knows where we're going to end up, but it's not good. And there's, there's nothing that's going to help us. But after a long absence, we'll find out this is almost some 14 days that they're without food. Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. And I love this about Paul. How are we doing on time, by the way? What are we supposed to finish, 11? Yeah, okay, we got five minutes. All right. So, he says, men, you should have listened to me. You know what I love about Paul with this? He turns around and Paul's like, I told you so. I, I mean, don't you love that about Paul? I love that about Paul. I, you know, I, I don't know that I would be so bold in that moment, but he's like, yeah, you just see his head shaking. I told you. Man, fair haven. I know it was boring, but we'd be alive. But I told you so. You didn't listen. I perceived God was showing me this, or I perceived. You know, I've been through this. I've been shipwrecked three times. I know everybody thinks they're a hero, and everybody can get through the storm. He's like, this ain't the time to be a hero, right? He says, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. He's like, look, this is, this is what happened. Now, remember Paul, though. Paul can be bold like that, because where's Paul know he's going? Rome. Why? Because Jesus told him he's going to Rome. So Paul's looking at him. He's like, I told you guys. The 275, you, it ain't going to end well. I'm good, but I warned you. You know, no, I don't think Paul did that. You know what I think Paul was doing at that point? He was praying. He was interceding for those 275 men and women, whoever was on that ship. He was interceding and praying for them. And how do I know that? Because we're going to read it here in a minute. He says, and now I urge you, take heart. What? I told you so, and now we go from I told you so to take heart. What, Paul? For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So God, how, how is this possible? I mean, we don't know where we're going. We're all going to end up shipwrecked. And yet, 
You're telling us, take heart. What are you teaching us again? Not to trust what we see in the storm. When you're in the storm of life, don't trust what you can see. Trust what God shows you. Trust his promises. He's faithful and worthy. I always encourage you, when you're in a storm, ask God for confirmation in scripture. And then trust him. Let go. Let go. God doesn't need you to micromanage him. He's he's quite capable. He says, among you, but only the ship. Now, this had to be hard to understand, too. He says, by the way, he says, you're all going to live, but the ship's going to be gone. We're going to lose the whole ship. You got to understand, they don't have helicopters coming in that can medevac people. It's not like we today where we go, oh, okay, they're just going to reach somebody on the, you know, the, the, the wave radio or they're gonna, the ham radio or whatever. They're going to just wait, you know, radio in for help. There was no way to do that. Nobody knows where they're at. Nobody, you know, nobody knows what's going on. They're literally just floating on the water, being tossed to and fro in these waves. They have no way to communicate anything. They're, they're thinking it's lost, and you're telling me, wait a minute, Paul, this ship is going to be shipwrecked, it's all going to fall apart, and yet God's going to save us? How's that possible? I mean, if, 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 a, if you're on an airplane, I'll, I'll relate it to something most of us fly or have flown in airplanes today. If, if a captain comes on the, sh- the, air, the radio of the airplane and says to you, the plane is going down, but you all are going to hop off and just, you know, be good, right? What? How's that going to work? You know, it defies logic and gravity and everything else that goes with that. If the boat sinks, we're on the boat. Aren't we going to sink with it? Just from the 1,200-ton displacement of the water alone, what is that going to do from a physics perspective? Is that not going to create a drain type of pull you down? Man, not exactly the best place to stop. But... Let's read verse 23. I want to stop on this positive good end. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God, definite article, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. I got to read 24. Saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Do you see that? What do you say? He says he granted all. You, Paul, all those that sail with you. What does that tell us Paul was doing? Paul was interceding. He was praying for them. And God said, Paul, this angel says to God, he says, because of your faithful prayer, he says, they will survive with you. And that's how he's able to look at these men, these 275 men and said, we're going to survive this. Because the God definite article, the creator of all the universe, the heaven, the stars, everything that you see, all of matter, everything you touch and don't touch, God has ordained it. And if God says so, well, then it's going to happen. And they're going to receive this. And I, I believe Julius, watching this, comes to salvation. Him seeing this miracle before his eyes in all of his years. Remember, he's a centurion. He takes people back and forth on these ships all the time, right? Bringing them to prison, bringing them to Caesarea, bring, you know, going through, or I mean, um, Rome, going through that whole process. Every time, he's never seen anything like this. And when this man, this humble man, Paul, who at this point had been in prison for two and a half, almost four years up to this point, Probably didn't, you know, in, you know, not looking his best there. 
And he's, now he's going to call him Captain Paul because he's going to start believing the God, the God, the definite article, the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity. Amen? Let's stand and pray. I had Jenny that was going to, she was going to do a closing song because we don't want our time. Jenny, we're not going to do the song. We'll do it next week. But um, go ahead and read ahead. Um, We'll close out the rest of chapter 27 and begin into chapter 28 next week. It's exciting, isn't it, to see all that God's doing? I, I pray that the Lord is speaking to you mightily through this passage. I know he speaks mightily through me, you know, to me through the whole Bible, but this passage in particular, because we all have storms of life, right? Storms of correction, storms of instructions, storms of direction. I mean, you begin to think of the storms of judgment. I'm going to talk about that next week. All the different storms of life that we go through. And they all have purpose. They all have purpose. So if you're here today and you need prayer because you're going through a storm that you've never been through and you know God is trustworthy and you know God is faithful, but you need to pray, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I mean, I think of those people in Indonesia right now. Many of you know what happened over there. That tsunami, 340, 50 people dead. They thought they were going to be here the next day. They thought they were going to be here tomorrow. The Lord says, you know, their work, and he says, your vats are full, but he says, above your soul, I will require from you this day. And I think of the other 700 people that are injured or hurt right now. They're trying to reconcile all this. Most of them don't know Christ. They just had the most traumatic event in their lives happen. And we're thousands of miles away sitting in a very safe room in a building right now where we didn't experience, but the closest thing we could probably relate to was 9-11 when we watched everything just get turned upside down on us. And I believe God shot that across the bow as a warning. I believe that was a warning to America. I do believe we're in the last days. If we haven't watched this whole week with Kavanaugh and this whole proceedings going on, wherever you stand on that, look, I'm not going to get into that. But you need to be praying for that family. You need to be praying for that doctor. You need to be praying for that judiciary committee. They passed him, but they said, hey, we're going to go through an FBI check. Fine, that's great. But we're going we're to make sure it doesn't go more than five days. And after that, do you know where it's going to be going? It's going to go to the Senate. You have a senator. I have a senator in this commonwealth, in this state, don't we? You need to get on the phone with your senator, friends. Enough standing by. Enough letting other people do it. Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah, it's heavy and hot. We have a responsibility. We are Christians. We stand in the gap. We are watchmen. And because we are watchmen and we stand in the gap, get on that phone. You call your senator and you tell them, because you know what this is really about? And we talked about it in the prophecy conference. It's about abortion. That's what it's all about. Again, wherever you, wherever you end up on this, it's about abortion. And Kavanaugh getting in there, if they overturn it, what are they worried about? Roe v. Wade, why? Because it's a billion-dollar industry. It's a multi-million and billion-dollar industry right now. Planned Parenthood and all of them. Go through and research it. Again, wherever you come politically, that's not my persuasion here this morning. My persuasion is to call you to action for Jesus Christ to call you back to his scripture and what he says. Who will stand with me? Who will be Isaiah in chapter 6 where he says, who will do this? 
And the Lord looks upon everybody that's standing in the presence. And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord. Use me. Where's our Deborahs? Where's our prophetesses? Where's our prophets of our day? We don't know how much time we have left. The 300 and 400 people in Indonesia didn't know the time they had. They didn't understand that that, that day, that night, it would all be different. Pray for their families. Pray for all the, the difficulty. Pray that they know Christ. Pray that good is done through this, that they come to salvation. Friends, we don't have time. I encourage every one of you, don't walk out of here today like you did last week. Walk out of here convicted for Jesus. Not because a man impromptu, you know, do it because Jesus has told you from the very beginning, be about my father's business. Amen? Let's pray for the help that we need. Get a hand. Get a hand. Grab a hand to your neighbor. Get a hand. Well, you grab Kevin's hand. I'll go over this way. Get a hand. We need prayer for our country. God promised. He says, if we would just pray. We need to be praying for Israel. We need to be praying for this country. This decision that's coming in the next few weeks is going to matter a lot in the Supreme Court, which is one of the reasons many of us or some of you voted for Trump in the beginning, maybe didn't care for the man, but wanted the Supreme Court election knowing that over 54 million babies have been murdered and the blood is going to be requested from the land. There's judgment from that. We need a healing for this land. We need a healing for this country. We need a healing for our souls. Father God, we come before you right now, Lord Jesus. God, thank you that we are living in the days, Lord, that you've shown us here, Lord, right now. These days, the end times, Jesus, we know you're coming soon. God, we believe it. Lord, you've told us in your word, you love us and you will come for us. We're not given unto wrath, Lord. You promised that in 1 Thessalonians 4. We're not given unto wrath in chapter 5 too. God, I pray right now, Lord Jesus, I pray for those in Indonesia. God, I pray for the family members. Lord, I pray for the government as they try to figure out how to, to help all of these individuals. Lord, I pray use us. Lord, if you'd have us load up a tanker or something and send it over, we're learning about these boats. And Lord, however you'd have us do it, use us, Lord. Lord, I think of North Carolina, Lord, and just the devastation they have with the, the floods there, Lord, many of the Calvaries down there, Lord, reaching out for help. The people down there, especially near the coast. God, if you'd have it, use us, Lord. But God, we lift up Kavanaugh. We lift up his family, we pray protection on them. We lift up this um, doctor, Lord, this woman here. Lord, clearly she's been hurt. Clearly there's, there's hurt there, Lord, right, wrong, and different. She's hurt, Jesus. She needs your healing. She needs your touch. She needs to be set free. God, I pray, Lord, for her and her family, Lord, that you would renew what, what's, I don't know what's happening there, Lord, but you would renew her heart and that she'd be able to lay down any, even if it's right, Lord, any bitterness, she'd be able to lay it down and really be forgiven and forgive others. God, you've told us and called us to do that, Lord. And Kavanaugh, I pray that he doesn't take any of this bitterness or his wife. He'll never be able to coach his kids hockey or his kids soccer or whatever team they play on. He'll never be around to be young women again, Lord. His testimony's ruined for life now because of this. But he was willing to stand in the gap, Lord. And God, I pray it's not true. I pray these accusations, all of us here do, Lord. We don't want to see any of these accusations be true here. 
But God, we pray that if it is your leading, if it is your will, Lord, that he would be put in the Supreme Court, God, and that he would outlaw in this country abortion and that there would be never another baby murdered. Lord, God, I pray that for those women, Lord, whether it's rape or different things that have happened or that are horrendous, God, I pray for all the women that have experienced that. God, and I pray for their families, but I pray, Lord, for adoption. I pray those that are so desperate for children right now that desire those children, that those women that have been violated or those situations or whether they believe they can't take care of it, God, I pray for our local care net here, Pregnancy Center. But God, I pray, we pray together here, Lord, that you would open doors for adoption, that you would open homes for these children, that they would come in and be part of a good Christian home, Lord, where they'll learn about you, Jesus. They may not have months materially, but they don't need that, Lord. If we have you, we are rich abundantly, God. And so, Jesus, as we come before you this morning, Lord, do that work in us, Lord, that we may be faithful to do the work in others, Lord, that you will do that work in them, but we would be your mouthpieces, Lord. We would be your prophets and prophetesses. We'd be your servants, Jesus. Give us that gift that we need here that we can't do it on our own. We're inadequate, Lord. We're fickle, but give us the gift and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We pray it and ask it. And give us that boldness, Jesus, to step in the gap. If it costs us our life, so be it, Lord. As long as it brings you glory and honor. Because that's all it's about, Jesus. It's about you, your Father, and the Holy Spirit. Where we want to spend eternity. And if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, Jesus. God, I pray you'd have them come up. And that they would receive salvation. Today is the day of salvation, Lord. And if they hear this on the radio or on the, 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 the internet or wherever they get, Lord, and they would call the church, Lord, we want to get a Bible in their hands. You want them to have a Bible. You want to instruct your children. Father God, we pray that many, many would be saved. Lord, we pray a revival would be done. We pray, Lord, you'd use many of the Messiah children that are here, the Harrisburg Area Community College. Lord, you'd use our young people. You brought a revival through our young people before. God, we pray you'd do it again. Do it in a mighty way, Jesus. Let us be the hands and feet. God, we lift this all up to you now, Jesus Christ. We lift this up to your holy name for your will and purpose. Glory be to your name. And all God's people prayed, amen. God bless you all. I love you all. Have a great week. So sorry to keep you late, but the Lord just pricked my heart to do this this morning. Love you all. Be well. And I'll see you all on Wednesday as God should lead. If he doesn't come sooner. <laughs>